Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Photo Taco. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I am Jeff Harmon, the hobbyist editor at ImprovePhotography.com and your host of this podcast. And today I want to talk about something I hope a lot of people will find helpful. Um, They may disagree (laughs) a lot with it, but I want to talk JPEG compression levels. And that may sound like a really scary topic, but I'm going to do my best to explain it to you, help you understand why I'm talking about it, what it is, and hopefully you'll find it helpful. So let's jump right in. Let's talk about compression levels overall. What does it mean when you compress something? You you all can think of that. What does it mean when you shrink something down? You push it together, you compress it, you make it smaller. You take something big, you compress it, and you make it smaller. That's what compression's doing. Now, there are two ways to make this happen on computers. With regard to computer stuff, I mean, in the real world, when you compress something down and shrink it down, there's very few things that will come back to its original size, that will will be able to expand out again to its original size. Most things, when you compress them, they are compressed for good. (laughs) A lot of things. So, But that's not the way it is with computers and digital things uh, like files on a computer. So when you compress them, you, you know you're all familiar with zip files. You're familiar with what happens when you zip your files. You probably also have noticed how when you zip something that is a photo versus something that's a document, how much different the zip compression is working. The zip files, when they are trying to compress it, they find, they go through it, they have some some mathematical algorithms they use to analyze the files, and they they find things that are common, that are happening a whole lot in the file. And in the case of text, there's going to be lots of duplication of things in the file. Lots of stuff that it can identify and say, I'm going to only do one of these instead of 18 of them or whatever, you know, however that algorithm is going to work. And that's why when you zip a file, uh, 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 sorry, a text document, then you get really tiny file sizes that come out of it versus when you try to zip a raw file or a JPEG file or, or any kind of photo file, it doesn't really compress that much down. It doesn't get a whole lot smaller. Video, if you try to zip video, it doesn't get a whole lot smaller when you zip it because there's not as much redundancy for the algorithm that's being used with the zip compression format. But I bring that up because it's a very good way for everyone to think about compression. But really, there's two kinds of compression on computers. There is lossy and lossless. And those are such similar words, it can be hard to distinguish between them. But a lossy format is one, just like in the real world, when you compress something and make it smaller, you can't really get it back to its fully expanded size again. That's lossy. It loses information when you run the algorithm. Hopefully, it's only the information that really wasn't helping us anyway, and that's the case in the JPEG format. But then there's also lossless compressions. And that would be something more like in the TIFF format, you can do that. Uh, you can have, there's some other lossless compression formats 
where you can actually get it back to its original size. Zip does that, right? It, zip wouldn't be helpful if after you zipped it up, you couldn't unzip it and get it back. That's a lossless compression format because it, it you can get it back. JPEG is not. JPEG is a lossy compression format. You are losing data. But like I said, hopefully it chooses only the data that we actually don't really need. And so let's talk about that a little bit more. What's happening when you save an image, a raw file, let's say, because this is that's the most beneficial portion of saving to JPEG. When you save a raw file out to JPEG, what the computer's doing is implementing an algorithm that a bunch of really smart people created back in 1991. And it's going through, they discovered that if it, as they analyzed the image, if they took eight by eight pixels and they looked at those eight by eight squares across your whole image, so lots and lots of those eight by eight squares, but if they looked at those eight by eight squares and those squares looked really, really similar, they could encode a special way to make it so that rather than writing all of the information about all of those pixels in there, they could summarize sort of. They can kind of say, well, most of these look identical. They look, they're so close to the same. Let's just say it once. We'll just put in the file, the one pixel, and say that it's repeated a bunch of times. And it's a lot more complicated than that. Those, these people that made this were very, very smart people. It's using a lot of really complicated math, but you get kind of the gist of it. It, it goes through your image and it kind of finds the places that are being repeated. If you have an image with a, a big blue sky in it, massive blue sky, most of that sky is going to look pretty similar. And there's a whole bunch of information that you could kind of throw away and not have it be a big deal because you can say what's in this pixel right here just you know replicate that across the whole a whole bunch of the area of the picture that's roughly what it's kind of doing but what you can't get back were the actual differences between those pixels and there were small differences there so small usually our eyes can't see and it depends on the compression level you choose when you save your image as to how aggressive the algorithm, how aggressive the math will be in trying to determine how much of that data it's going to throw away. So you might think, well, I don't want it to throw away any of my data. I want it to keep all of it. And I'm going to tell you that's not right, but I'll save that for a second when I argue what I think your compression level should be set to when you export it. But before we do that, let's talk about kind of why it is that we're saving it to JPEG in the first place. Why aren't we just going to go send our raw files out to the world? Well, some of you might think, I don't want them to be able to take my image and reproduce it exactly. I want, <laughs> I want them to have to have a format of the file that's not full quality. So they have to come buy it from me if they want the full quality file. Totally valid point but not really the biggest reason that we need to do this to save images as JPEG. We need to do it because honestly, it's gonna be done for us if we don't do it. Um, most of us are sharing on social media sites. They are notorious for, I'm sure you've seen it, how you upload a file that is beautiful on your computer. It took you so long, you spent this time, blood, sweat, and tears getting that file to look like that. 
and then you upload it on Facebook and they slaughter it. <laughs> it's killed. And that's because they can't have this monstrous file on their servers. They think of all the hundreds of millions of photos that they're going to save out there all the time. They can't have them be monstrous sizes. They also can't afford to pay for it. So that if, if they have these monstrous sizes out there as everyone logs into Facebook and goes to check out the image, they're paying for people accessing the website. They have to, to pay that bandwidth fee. And if it's huge, it's going to be a huge fee. And they can't do that. So they're going to, even if you upload this high quality, full fidelity, high resolution file that's just gorgeous and beautiful, they're going to go and recompress it. They're going to take whatever you gave them. They're going to go squash, squash, squish, squish. And they're going to recompress it so that it's small. It's really tiny. And then they don't have to have nearly as much server space on their side. And they can serve it up to other people as they come to facebook.com and see it. They'll be able to see it. So... So whether you do it or not, someone else probably will. It, that goes for other websites too. Squarespace and Folio, Path, a whole bunch of these are going to recompress your images if they're so big because it's going to be a bad experience. If customers come to your Squarespace site and you've got some massive 10 megabyte JPEG file on your homepage, that means everyone that comes to visit your site is going to have to download that 10 megabit fi megabyte file and it's going to take forever for them to load that. And that's a bad experience. Plus, Squarespace has to pay for storing it and Squarespace has to pay for giving that over the internet. They have to pay that bandwidth fee too. So they're going to optimize it for you. It's part of the reason you get a service. They're going to notice for example, if a mobile device, if a, a iPhone or an Android phone or some smartphone is connecting to the site and they can't actually even display a file that big. It's just your screen is so little on a phone that it can't actually handle that anyway. Or it's indistinguishable. A lot of the resolutions are getting crazy on these small devices now. But even if you have, let's say, a, a 4K display in a smartphone, then it's so little though, it's such a small little screen that showing an image at that size is just, it's going to be indistinguishable from something much smaller. And that's what all these websites are going to do. Plus the mobile connection, if they're out on, on internet, on, on mobile connection, not Wi-Fi or, or some other internet connection, it's going to be horribly slow to download that. It's going to take forever for your page to load. So they will, Squarespace and, and a whole bunch of those others, will recompress the image for you. And then depending on the device that's connecting to it, if it's a computer, I'm going to give you a higher, a bigger resolution file. If it's the mobile device, I'm going to give it a little tiny, tiny file. And it's going to load fast and still look the best it can on that device. So they're going to do this for you anyway. But as you go to share, why would you want to pay the cost of storing that massive file on your hard drive? plus the time it takes to upload. And there's lots of people in lots of places that have bandwidth limitations on them too. They can only upload so much per month. The more you have those big monstrous JPEG files out there, the more of that's going to get taken. And you don't want that either. So I'm going to tell you that you don't, you want to resize your image when you share it and you want to change the compression level when you share it. And what should those be? Let's talk about resize first. So the biggest, 
that Facebook and many other sites will show your image will be alongside a long edge of 2048 pixels. So that means it has to be on the longest 2048. If you supply a picture that's bigger than that, a lot of the social media sites are going to downsample it. They're going to further reduce the resolution of your image as they go to show it on the site down to at least 2048, maybe even littler. Lots of them do even smaller than that. Um, but even if you are putting it out on like your photo sharing website, someplace where maybe you deliver proofs to clients or you deliver final images to clients, it's to your advantage to export at least proofs out to 2048 too. It's going to take you that much less time to export the images, which can take a long time in its own right. I mean, have you tried to export hundreds or thousands of images out to JPEG format? It takes a while in Lightroom. So it, why not resize it, especially if it's for proofs? If it's not for printing purposes, if it's for proofs, 2048 are the largest. In fact, if you're going to put it on your website as a blog entry or something where it's not even proofs or for clients, I'd go even smaller. I'd go maybe 800 wide or, or sorry, on the longest edge or less. Depends on kind of your blogging platform and what you're using. I'd resize it appropriate to what you're going to be using it to. And for the majority of the time, unless it is a final client delivery of an image, I'd go 2048 at its at the most on the longest edge. All right, so that takes care of that piece, resizing it. Now what about the compression level? And I wish it was labeled compression level. I wish in the software it said compression level because that's a that's that's what it is. That's what it is you're setting. Instead they use the word quality. Ah, that's just it's a killer because you just spent all of this time. You went out on a photo shoot. You made sure the lighting was good. You are shooting raw because you want high, high quality. You came back and you edited in Lightroom and Photoshop and you got that image to look the very, very best it could. And now you're faced with a decision about how much quality do you want in your final file. And of course, everyone, I want 100% quality. Of course, that's what I want. I want it to be full, 100% quality. And so I'm sure you're very tempted and you probably have, many of you probably have done this already. You've exported at 100% quality every time because you don't want to lose any of this quality. You've worked so hard to put into your product. And I'm telling you, that's dead wrong. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it at 100%. It doesn't matter. Here's what's going on. That algorithm that it runs, it's taking some of your data with it anyway. It's already going to size it down. But that what, what level of quality you're choosing, that's determining how aggressive the algorithm can be as it's going through and deciding how much data it can throw away. And I'm going to say right now, I've tested this myself. I've done lots of validating where I'm comfortable setting that at. What kind of data quality level am I comfortable? I wish it wasn't called that. I really do. So I have tested it and the level I think you should set it at is 77, 77% quality. That's the level that everything is going to still look just like it was. It will be indistinguishable to you, indistinguishable to your customers, indistinguishable to anyone who goes to look at it on a lot of places, especially social media, because they're going to 
kill it even further, it you won't be able to tell the difference between that and 100%. I promise you. Go test it. Go try it out. Go export your entire portfolio at 77%. Compare it to the one at 100%. You won't be able to tell unless you go in super close and look. Even if you're printing 77%, you don't need 100% there. There's no reason for it. Okay, but you might ask, what's the trade-off though? What, what does it matter if I choose 77 versus 100? Does it is it a big deal if I choose 100? I think it is because over time, as you do this, we just talked on improvephotography.com about the massive amounts of storage that photographers are needing. Anytime you can save some storage, it's worth it. Anytime you can save that on internet speeds too, how long it's going to take to upload proofs or photos to your portfolio website, that's all stuff that can be better if all you do is choose 77%. Because 77% gives you an imperceptible difference in quality, yet it's 200% smaller on the file size. 200%. It's half as big if you use a 77% versus 100. That's huge. That is a huge amount of savings on storage space and on internet bandwidth. So don't go 100%. Choose 77. Now, truth is, you could actually go lower that on a lot of photos. A lot of photos, you won't be able to tell the difference at even more compression than that. But I've been through it and tested it, and I really think 77 is about the point that everything still looks just the same, but it's dramatically smaller. Now, 77, you might wonder, why did you pick that one? Why not like 75? That seems like a, a more round, even though it's not round, <laughs> but a more round number. And the reason has to do with how the really old version of exporting to JPEG worked in Photoshop. So in Photoshop, you have actually three ways to be able to deal right now with uh, saving your files from RAW to JPEG. You have the ancient, ancient, ancient way of file save as. You have the brand new way as of 2015.3, which is the latest version of Creative Cloud Photoshop in January 2016. Uh, it was released, I think, last October. And that is file export as. And then you have one that was in between those two. Call, that is file save for web and is now listed as save for web legacy, meaning at some point in the near future, you won't have that option anymore in Photoshop, but they still have it there for now. The problem is the very oldest one is actually really different from the others. And in fact, the scale is totally different. When you do file save as and, and you choose JPEG, um, what comes up after you choose the file name and where it's going to go is a window that says JPEG options and you have a scale from 1 to 12 on quality. It's not a percentage. It's 1 to 12. What are you supposed to do with that? I just told you 77%. What do you do on that option? Well, first off, don't use this option. Don't save your JPEGs out of this way. It's using a very old implementation of the algorithm that Adobe created to produce JPEGs, and it's not as good. It does a really terrible job of it. It uh, makes files much bigger than they need to be, and in a lot of cases makes them look worse too. 
So if I just don't use it, I don't recommend it. Use the other two options. Safer Web Legacy is probably still currently the safest um, because it's it's the newer algorithm. It does a really good job, and it has the percentage seventy seven percent. The export as is new, and they've been tweaking it. And uh, when it was first released, and I think it was in the 2015.1 release that they kind of moved Safer Web to Legacy and now have this export as, that export as function in 2015.1 release was not dealing with colors correctly. And they've said they fixed it in 20 point, in uh, point three. I don't know for sure, um, but that's something we're going to have to test. So uh, then there is... <coughs> Shoot. <coughs> anyway, with save to wet or sorry, with uh, save as JPEG, the level that corresponds to this is 10. That corresponds to 77%. That's actually 10 is corresponds to a range of percentages, really. And 77 was kind of the lowest part of that 10. So 10 on save as JPEG corresponds to 77%. That's why I picked 77%. And I tried it then through Photoshop and Lightroom and everything and 77% is is what we need. So that's what I recommend. You set it to 77%, you, um, for everything but client delivery of photos, you resize to 2048 along the longest edge. And that's gonna be the best way for you to share your photos online. And again, if your photos are going to be put somewhere in a blog post where it's not even taking the full width of the post and maybe you don't need uh, 2048, you could go 800 or 400, something like that. Consider where you're sticking the photo, where you're going to put it and go, go make it the smallest it can be. There's no reason to have something monstrous out there. Your website will, will be faster loading if you do that. And the, uh, the algorithm, even though Squarespace or some of these other sites are going to redo the format for you, um, it's going to be better to work from that JPEG file than it is some massive file where they're going to, they're going to do a really aggressive algorithm to, to make it look that way. Now, when you do client deliveries, I wouldn't resize it. Those I, when I send them, I use Zenfolio myself. When I send it to Zenfolio, I keep it the same resolution. So the same length on the edges, I don't change that, but I still do a 77% compression on the JPEGs because that information just doesn't matter as it's getting sent off to a print lab. It's, it's the same thing. So that, that's my recommendation. Um, 77% on JPEG compression level, and you won't be able to tell the difference. Love to see if you disagree, and you're free to do that, of course. Uh, be, be sure to let me know. Uh, join the Facebook group. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash phototaco. Ask to join if you're not a member. We'll let you in as soon as we validate that you're not a robot or a spammer. And, uh, and I'd love to be able to hear if you agree or disagree or what your experience has been, uh, you're free to do that, of course. That's just my recommendation based on my experience in testing 77% on the JPEG compression level. I hope you found the information very helpful. Um, if you have, there's a lot more like it over at improvephotography.com. We have constant updates on news and gear and other reviews that we're doing. So if you're not going out there and checking out the site like 
almost every day, then you're missing out on a whole lot of information that you can have helping you to improve your photography. It is the best way to improve your photography. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!